when I talk to someone. Alright guys, here we go. Tonight, we're going to talk about everyone's favorite subject. Do you guys know what everyone's favorite subject is? Everyone in the whole world? What do you like to talk about more than anything else in the whole world? Ah, oh, yourself. And food is a is a is a is a is a hard number two. All right, we're gonna talk about yourself. We'll talk about food also. We'll throw a little food in there. So tonight we're gonna talk about you. Have you ever heard of somebody? Now, I myself, when I was nineteen, I took a semester off from college, which turned into fifteen years, and decided to travel the world to find myself. Has anyone here ever thought about traveling the world to find yourself or heard of someone that traveled the world to find themselves? What do you guys say about the topic? Anyone have any interest in traveling the world? Yes, a little? Great. Okay, what is so ridiculously ironic about traveling the world to find yourself? Wherever you are, there you are, right? How can you travel to find yourself? What does that mean? What do you guys say? You're trying to find new experiences, okay, to find out what? Oh, great, you wanna find your purpose. Good, what else? What else do you think you're trying to find out? when you travel to find yourself, when people say they want to find out who they are. What they care about, what they're passionate about, right? So we got your purpose, your passion, what else? Anything else that people might be looking for? Yeah, why, why, what is that good? How does that help you? Okay, and what happens when you get out of your comfort zone? Okay, at? <laughs> Sophie, what were you going to say? Good, I am good. Okay, so there's some sort of growth, but, but do you know, what is that growth that's happening? Like, why can't you do that at home? Mm -hmm. So it challenges you to, to kind of re-examine and one of the things I think he challenges you to re-examine is what do you really believe in, right? What's your, what are your values? Because in our life, our life is made up of a bunch of different components. It's your family, your social environment, your community, your society. What's you? What is actually you when you strip away the externals? When you take yourself out of your comfort zone, who are you really? How much of what you're doing, how much of what you believe, the clothes you wear, the music you listen to, the styles you're into, your values, how much of that is yours and how much of it is society's? So traveling gives you the opportunity to break free. So tonight we're going to talk about who are you really. Not only when you strip away your society, but when you strip everything away. Who are you on the inside? So... I would like you guys to do a little experiment to start this discussion off.
I would like everybody to please take your finger and hold it up like this. And when I count to three, I want you to stick it up your nose. No, don't do that. Uh, when I count to three, I would like you to point to something. And I'm going to tell you what to point to, and I want you to do it quickly, without thinking. You ready? Okay, so just an experiment to see what, what our associations are. Okay? At the count of three, one, two, three, point to yourself. Go. Keep your fingers there. All right, I noted this last night when I did this class yesterday that Zoom has very different results than when I do this in a live audience. Very interesting. Normally, most of the room is pointing here at their torso. On Zoom, most people are pointing here because that's what you could see in the boxes. Okay? But the question for you today is which is a more accurate description? Usually we have about three different options. We have a few people pointing at their chest. Most people usually point at their chest. Some people point at their head. And then there are a few confused people that point at their, their neck. So which do you guys say is the most accurate place to point? Do we have any, anyone want to share? Sam, go for it. <laughs> okay, English, Sam, English. Okay, but not you don't mean your nose, you're saying your brain, your head. Okay, good. Um, does anyone, any chess people want to disagree? Oh, so it was, it was point to yourself. That was the question. Point to yourself. Do, you have, do we have any chess people who would like to defend their position? Oh, beautiful. I actually got that yesterday from someone. That kind of threw a wrench in it. But uh, what's interesting to note, uh, did anyone, were any chess people change their mind? Switchovers? Any switchovers to head people or head people to chess people? Oh, wow. All right, you're, you're jumping ahead a few, a few steps, but let's get there. So intrinsically children when they learn to identify themselves right when you're very young you don't have self con consciousness you don't you're not aware that you exist really you just realize that you have needs but when children get a little older and they realize that they are someone they intuitively point to their chest this is me and as we get older, and the reason I ask this question I ask you not to think about it is to see what comes naturally most people and again I think zoom messes this up because you see your face in the thing so you point to your face right but if we're in real life based on my previous experiences most people point to their chest and the question is is are you a chest are you a body is that who you are or are you your mind who's the real you so if i were to ask you if you if a person god forbid not you lost an arm would they still be them yeah what if they lost two arms still them still them what if they lost 
their arms and their legs. Are they still them? Still them. So where does their body end and them begin? Can you imagine such a thing in, in the near future that science could take a person's head and put it on another person's body? Take your head off and put it on someone else's body? And would you still be you? You'd still be you. Your consciousness would still be there. Have a different body, but it'd still be you. Right? Just like a person who's paralyzed from the head down is still them, even though they don't have access to their body. So the question we're going to discuss is, who are you? What is this you-ness that occupies something in our consciousness, the consciousness that knows that we exist? Did you ever ask a question when you were a little kid of who would I be had I been born to different parents? You ever ask that question? Well, you could ask it now if you never did, Sophie. It's never too late. The question is a ridiculous question, right? Because if you've been born to different parents, you'd have completely different DNA, different genetics, different life experience. You wouldn't be you, right? But the answer is no. There's a you. There's an intrinsic you. There's a consciousness. And according to Judaism, we are essentially made up of two parts. Some people touched on it already. What are the two parts that make up a human being, according to the Torah? Body and soul. Excellent. So the purpose of this discussion tonight is to kind of learn what those two concepts are from a Jewish mystical perspective and how to identify them both in our own life, how to recognize what they both want. And then I'm going to share with you some very distinct, positive, uh, practical ramifications of, of expanding your consciousness to identify with soul. So I first want to ask you guys, by show of hands, how many of you believe that you have a soul? So I see, believe. Okay, so the truth is that Judaism does not believe that you have a soul. I always ruin your day. I tell you that we don't believe in a man in the sky, and now I tell you we don't believe that you have a soul. Judaism doesn't believe that you have a soul. On the contrary, Judaism believes that you are a soul and you have a body. Your soul is your true identity. Your soul is who you really are. It's your essence. Your body is the clothing that your soul wears. Sophie. Yes. So, again... We don't believe that you have a soul. When you say, I have a soul, it's implying that you are your body. Your body has a soul. Judaism says, you are your soul. Your soul is really you. That's the real you. And your soul is wearing a body. Your body is... That's right. That's right. That's right. You are Neshama. So, what do I mean by that? And what are these two identities and these two distinct parts? So according to the Torah, Adam, the first human being, was made out of dirt. That's physicality. The body is physical. And then God blew into that dirt a spark of God himself, a living, breathing soul. And that is the spiritual component that gives life to the physical parts of your body. And until today, science does not know where consciousness comes from. How do you take a bunch of amino, amino acids, put them together, and get a living cell? 
Where does the first organism come from? We don't know. You try hitting it with lightning, but we can't duplicate it. And not only where does life come from, but where does consciousness come from? How do you get a whole bunch of parts, right? Your body is made up of billions of different cells and hundreds of different organs. And yet there's a consciousness that thinks you're in charge. You're not really in charge of your body. Come on. I mean, you can move your arms and legs. You can't make your heart pump. You can't like, you don't know how, you don't know how to work livers. You don't know how that, that works. You actually completely have no control over most of the functions of your body. So, and yet we think we, we are in control of all of these different cells that really have independent con uh, consciousness. All of our cells are doing what they're doing. And we're kind of just on top of it all and we feel like we're in charge. So where does consciousness come from? So according to Judaism, consciousness comes from the soul. That is your true essence. That's the eternal part of who you are. And your soul comes into this world to play a part, just like an actor. Comes into this world, and the part that you're playing is a combination of your DNA and your nurture, your social environment, your experiences, and that makes you who you are. But the real you is your eter internal, eternal essence. And that's the consciousness that lives on beyond your body, beyond the part that you're playing. Anyone here believe in reincarnation? Does Judaism? Yay or nay? All in favor of reincarnation? Yay? So... It, this is a, a, a major precept of Judaism that somehow was left out of most Hebrew schools. And the answer is, yay, we believe in reincarnation. Yay, yippee, we get to have another chance here if we mess up. What is reincarnation? It's that your soul is an actor, comes down into this world to play a part. You have a role to play. You have script. You have a mission and a purpose. And after you finish this role, you go back up to wherever you came from, to the spiritual consciousness world of souls and then if you didn't finish your mission properly you have to come back down and play a different part same actor different clothes different costume different language different parents different name same consciousness that's the idea of reincarnation so the soul is who you really are on the inside the body is the car that your soul drives in this world Questions on anything that we said so far? Yeah. So there are, there are a lot of things that aren't in the Torah explicitly. And, and that's why would, when we talk about Kabbalah, the word Kabbalah means a received tradition. It's something that's passed on, down through the oral Torah, the oral tradition. And that's what the Talmud records. The Talmud records the oral understanding of what the meaning is behind the Torah. And a lot of the laws of Judaism are not explicit in the Torah, but they're hinted to in the Torah. And reincarnation is alluded to throughout the Torah, but in a hidden way. So that as as are many of the laws of Judaism. So for a discussion more on that point, 
make a bar with any rage rabbi to talk about the oral tradition and the Talmudic, uh, Talmudic traditions and where it comes from and how we learn it from the Torah. Okay, so, so, um, but the Kabbalah across the board is is accepted as part and parcel of Jewish oral tradition, not as a later invention, and. Uh, the idea of reincarnation is basically accepted in all in all branches of traditional Judaism from for thousands of years. Yeah. <laughs> Great question. I don't know the answer. Um, I I'm not definitely not an expert. Um, I do know that there are many sources that say that everyone nowadays there are no more new souls. That every soul has been here before. Um, but how many times I don't know and we do also just since you asked we do have um, many sources that talk about the potential for being reincarnated in other forms such as animals and plants um, and it's generally considered a punishment for some sort of really bad thing that a person did in a previous life right but uh, happens to be fish are, are it's really good to be reincarnated as a fish though but that's for another another time. Yes. Yeah, she she asked she asked me that question. She asked me that question. <laughs> feel feel free feel free offline. We can. I'm happy to talk about it more in depth. Okay, but tonight, tonight we're not getting into the details of reincarnation. I don't know that I'm uh, equipped to answer that. But what I really want to do is show us practically what these ideas could have on our life and what the benefits are of having awareness and being in touch with your soul and your spiritual side. So let's learn to identify both parts, okay, body and soul. What does your body care about? What? Okay, which needs? Physical needs. Great. Was that you, Inbal? E excellent. Your body cares about one thing, and one thing only. Apple products. What do I mean by that? The little eye. iPhone, iPad, that little eye. That's all the body cares about. What's the little eye? It's you, yourself, your own immediate, instant gratification, physical needs. In other words, I like to call it SSS, the three S's, steak, sleep, and sex. That's basically it in a nutshell. That's what the body likes, and it wants it now, immediately. Okay? On the body level, the whole world is there to fill your needs. Just like a child, a little baby doesn't care about anyone else in the world because a baby is completely a body, doesn't yet have cultivated that consciousness of the soul. The baby, everyone in the world is either a milk dispenser or a diaper changer, right? That's what, that's what baby, how the babies see the world. And on the bodily level, there's no such thing as love. Bodies don't know love. Bodies know companionship, they know physical closeness, but they don't know love. Because love requires making someone else's needs 
more important than your own. And the body doesn't know how to do that. The body can use another person for connection and for filling their needs, but as soon as it doesn't need that other person, it will throw them away. The best you get on the body level when it comes to love is Nintendo Wii. Two little eyes that are just utilizing each other, sharing space in this world. But the two eyes don't become one. On the soul level, love is possible. What does the soul care about? If the body cares only about itself and is intrinsically selfish, what's the soul? It's what? Selfish? Wow, it's so interesting that you say that. Most people say the soul is selfless. And I usually say that's incorrect. Because the soul is also selfish. The soul also cares about pleasure. It just cares about different pleasure. Different pleasure than the body. And to the extent that the soul is selfless, and selfish is really, it's just semantics, because the soul's self includes everyone else. Because on the soul level, we're all connected. So expansion, connection to soul means expanding your consciousness to include others as extensions of yourself. A little baby cares only about itself. As it gets older, it realizes that its parents actually have feelings and needs too. And maybe I shouldn't wake them up in the middle of the night. And as you get more mature, you become aware that, that you have neighbors. You can't throw your garbage all over the street. And you have community members in the city. And spiritual consciousness is about expanding your sense of self to include your neighborhood, your city, your country, and the entire world. That we're all connected on the soul level. So... The soul, the body, is isolated and alone and very small. The soul is inclusive and expansive. So what is the soul like? What are some soul pleasures? What do you say? Anyone? Feeling complete. Great, completion. How do you feel complete? <laughs> Back home where? Okay. Connecting somehow to spirituality. And in fact, according to uh, Kabbalah, the body and the soul both really want to come go back to where they came from. The body came from the ground, wants to go back to inertia, to lying down, to sleeping. The soul came from oneness, from connection to God. It wants to go back to its source. Just like a flame is leaping, literally leaping off of the candle, the soul wants to expand itself, to go beyond, to become part of something bigger than yourself. So, if you think about it, what is the, uh, based on what I just said, which of the three S's is the driving force of the body? Stake, sleep, or sex? Sleep. Excellent. What's the proof? How do you know that? 
So you feel good after all of those, I'm assuming. But the uh, the answer is, is that after the steak and the other S, you want to go to sleep, right? Sleep is really hunger and desire for for intimacy or any physical pleasure is really like an itch. It's annoying. You don't like the feeling. It's uncomfortable. So you go and you fill it with something to get rid of that feeling so that you can go back to lying on the couch, right? Ideally, the body is like a cat. You know how cats will find that square of sunlight and just like lie out in that square of sunlight all day? That's what your body would like to do all day if it could. And if it could find a way to be fed intravenously and sat satisfy all of its physical needs, it would be very happy and content to lie in bed all day. Have someone roll you around so you don't get bed sores. So, yeah. Yeah. So sleep, sleep is a recharge for the body and the soul. And the soul gets to experience certain spiritual things. And there are stories and stories and stories, not only in Judaism, but in, in other uh, religions as well, of people who are able to uh, consciously leave their bodies when they're sleeping and experience different things and gain certain insights into life so um, but the question the question I have for you is if sleep is so pleasurable and that's really what the body wants what happens if you sleep too much anyone ever have experience of doing a bagel for a couple of times in a row like 24 hours or sleep till 4 p.m. a few nights in a row what happens to you if you sleep too much you get tired and what else happens to you on an emotional level you lose your motivation and get depressed why do you get depressed if you sleep too much great Amazing, because you have two parts. Your body is very content to sleep all day, but your soul knows that you're in this world for a purpose. You have something to accomplish in this world. You have a mission. So what are those things that the soul likes? So it's very simple. The soul likes all those pleasures that are not physical, such as, you want to throw a few out? What do you guys say? What are some spiritual pleasures in this world? Soul pleasures. Doing good, doing good deeds, being good, being a moral person. What else? On the highest level, one of the soul's greatest pleasures, and this is psychologically proven, is giving. Right? There's a study done that uh, where, where $5 was given to Group A in the morning and $5 were given to Group B in the morning, and Group A was told to go buy themselves something, and group B was told to buy something for someone else. And at the day, end of the day, they rated their happiness. And group A said, I got it myself a coffee at Starbucks and whatever. Didn't change my life. 
Group B said, I bought something for a friend or for a coworker, and I was happy all day because of that act that I did. So it's through giving that we achieve true, true fulfillment. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, if a per first of all, if a person's a psychopath, by definition, a psychopath gets pleasure from doing things that are not good, right? That's that's why it's a psychological syndrome. But most people, most people in the world, even if they do things that look bad to us, take for example the Nazis in their own mind justify that they're doing a good thing. Because unless you're a psychopath that gets off on being bad, we are innately programmed to want to do good and be good. So even some of the greatest uh, mass murderers of all time thought they were doing society a favor. So um, that's a big law in human nature, by the way is that everyone you're talking to in the world thinks they're a good person. And if you want to really get people to listen to you, don't tell them that they're bad. Find a way to appeal to their them them without making them feel like you're looking down on them. Right? It's just a it's a great book if you want to learn about this stuff is uh, written in the a long like over about 100 years ago How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie is a fantastic book on human nature. And, and communication. So, so the soul enjoys connection, giving, learning, growing, accomplishing, overcoming, doing good, creating, finding meaning and purpose. That's what the soul likes. And the more you learn to do those things, the more long-term pleasure you'll experience in life. And ultimately, at the highest level, the soul wants to experience inner peace, oneness, connection to God. And that includes both inner peace, connection to self, acceptance of who you are and what you have, and outer peace, feeling bigger than yourself, being part of something bigger, whether it's a sports team, an orchestra, a, con a, 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 a theater company, or a community, a political movement, a nation, an army. On the, the soul wants to transcend itself. And the bigger you get, the more inclusive you are. Ultimately, the soul wants to be part of God, which includes everything. So, I'd like to share with you now four tangible examples of connection to soul. What, will, what connecting to your soul, what I call soul living, will do for your life. All right, so we're going to go through four points pretty quickly. And uh, if there's time, we can have questions at the end. Otherwise, feel free to reach out to me to discuss further. So advantage, advantage number one of soul living is more long-term pleasure and fulfillment in life, as we just discussed. Because if steak is really good for the body, but if you eat too much steak, you get sick of steak. And not only that, you get full and you get sick, period, of eating too much. Right? And the same with all of the physical pleasures. They don't last. They last while you're eating them, while you're enjoying them, while you're engaged in them, and then it's over. But spiritual pleasures 
last forever because it's based on inner fulfillment. It's based on higher level pleasures. And these pleasures help to connect us to long-term happiness. So on the soul level, advantage number one is a person who lives connected to the soul is living a life of greater pleasure as opposed to people. And there are many people in this world who have lived their life running after physical pleasures. Constantly have to go from one to another because they don't last and they get old. And then you have to ex go to extreme pleasures and infidelity and skydiving because it's not enough. It's never enough. We get bored of having the same old physical pleasures. But on the soul level, it's always enough because the soul is seeking contentment and acceptance of every experience that you have. The soul lives in the present moment. Okay, advantage number two of soulful living is, you know, we're made up of two very distinct parts. And the body wants what it wants and the soul wants what it wants. And because we're pulled in two different directions, we have an advantage that no other creature in the universe has. You see, animals on the bodily level, we're no different than animals. All the same stuff we like, animals like. So animals though, they don't have pulls in any other direction. An animal can only ever do what it's programmed to do through instinct, nature, or through training, conditioning. But an animal can never like choose to become a vegetarian or choose to join the circus or like, you know, animals can't decide to like learn a foreign language. They don't have the capacity to do that because they don't have an intellectual uh, abstract concepts to be able to change their nature on their own. But a human being on the other hand is made up of an angel and an animal. You see, angels don't have free will either. Angels do entirely good. They can't do any other way. But human beings are made up of an animal and an angel. Our animal wants to do animal things, immediate physical pleasure. Our angel, our soul, wants to do godly things, giving greater things, oneness. Because we have pulls in two opposite directions, we have a very unique faculty known as free will. We have the ability to choose which one we listen to today. And every single moment of your day, you can choose to listen to your body do you study for your tests or do you watch Netflix? Do you eat a third piece of cake or do you listen to your diet? Titian, who told you only one. Do you exercise or do you stay on the couch and watch more Netflix? Do you uh, cheat on your taxes? Do you steal from hotels? Do you talk gossip about your friend or do you choose to do something higher and harder? That is the battle of free will, the battle between body and soul. And for those of you with psychology background, uh, a famous Jew known as the father of modern psychology got a lot of stuff wrong, Freud, but he got some things right. And one of the things that Freud taught is straight out of Judaism, the ego, the id, and the superego. The id is the animal. The superego is the soul that wants to do what's right. And the ego is the chooser. That's free will that decides who do I listen to, my body or my soul. And I want to show you one of the advantages of living with greater degree of free will. One of my students one time said to me, um, we live in Maryland, so 
crabs and shellfish is a really big thing over here. So one of my students said to me, Rabbi, I feel so bad for you, Rabbi, because you can't eat crabs. And I, I couldn't live without crabs. So I turned to him and I said, you know, I really feel bad for you because I could live without crabs. I choose not to eat crabs. I could eat them, but I choose not to. You, on the other hand, can't live without eating crabs. You don't have free will. You're controlled by your desires. So when it comes to having self-control, which is a really important part of healthy self-esteem, is learning to recognize that you can do whatever you want to do. You have the ability to overcome your bodily desires. So if we had to give a definition of free will, what would you say free will is? The ability to do what? What is free will? Autonomy. What is autonomy? Give me a definition. Okay. So most people define free will as the ability or the right to do whatever you want. So based on what we're saying, that's actually incorrect. Because animals do what they want all the time. They can't not do what they want. We, on the other hand, have the ability to not do what we want. That's free will. Free will is the ability to want to do something and to choose not to because it's not the right thing. That's free will. Okay, so soul living gives us greater self-control, greater self-mastery, and greater ability to choose how we live our life. You're not bound by your nature or your nurture. You're not bound by your society. You're not bound by your negative inclinations towards anger, laziness, selfishness. You have the ability to choose how you live your life at any given moment. Okay, that's advantage number two. And now, that leads us straight into advantage number three of greater connection to soul and soul living, and that is healthier self-esteem. You see, I'm a therapist on the side when I'm not working with my rage community, and um, I would say the number one issue that I see again and again in all of my clients, every single one, is low self-esteem lack of self-compassion. Right, depression and anxiety are way up there, but at the root of all of them is low self-esteem. So where does low self-esteem come from? If you think about it, right? Like there are people that get their self-esteem, their self-worth from their bodies, how they look, or their clothes, how they dress, or how much money they have. The problem with all of those things is that if your self-worth comes from the stuff you have or from your body, what's the problem with basing your self-esteem on your body or your bank account? It can go away, right? And in fact, everyone's body eventually goes away, right? Or at least gets older and fatter and uglier. I mean, <laughs> you could exercise also, I just started. Just started a few months ago, every night. It's good stuff. But uh, if you base your self-worth on your body, your bank account, it's only skin deep. Doesn't last. Doesn't last. And you're always at risk of losing your bank account, losing your money. 
So CBT, modern therapy, will tell you if you're feeling depressed, you should look at your positive actions. Look at your accomplishments in life. Look at the fact that you got up this morning, you got dressed, you brushed your teeth, you went to work. Look at all the good deals you've made in your life. Look at the fact that you have a good marriage, that you've raised kids. There's always things to look at in your accomplishments, but I think that that's also lacking. Because if your self-esteem is based on your accomplishments, so what are you at risk for? Failure. What happens when you fail? Failure is inevitable. Failure is inevitable, right? I just had a we just had a speaker who said uh, last yesterday in Rage, a very successful uh, pharmaceutical CEO. He said someone asked, "How can I?" Uh, oh, Jess, I think it was Jesse. Or Jesse asked, "How do I? Uh, you know, I want to start my own company. How do I do it?" He said, "Get ready to fail, not once, not twice, but." multiple dozens of times throughout your career but get up again don't let your failures define you you see if i'm a body and my actions define me so i'm always at risk that when i mess up that means i'm bad you know how do we respond when we mess up when we make a mistake at work or we get in trouble or our friend calls us out for one of our flaws how do we respond usually we get defensive how else might we respond? We, which leads to depression, low self-esteem, depression. We define ourselves by our mistakes. Why do we do that? Why do we get defensive when we mess up? And the answer is very simple because we think I'm a mess up. If I'm a body and I'm defined by my actions, then when I mess up, that means I'm a mess up. When someone calls me out for my flaws, it must mean I'm bad. But when you realize that you're a soul, and your soul is intrinsically good and perfect, it's just that you have flaws in the realm of actions, so you can make amends. You can own it. You can say, you're right, I did mess up. You know what that means when you mess up? What does that make you? Tried. It makes you human. We all mess up. We are all intrinsically flawed, and there's nothing wrong with that. The only failure in life is when you define yourself by your failings. You are not a failure. You failed, you're human. The difference between a failure and a success is a person who gets up again, a person who refuses to let their failures define you. When you realize that you are a soul, then failure is the greatest opportunity to make amends and to grow and to learn and improve yourself. There's nothing wrong with failure. But if you're a body, then you're always at risk of being called out for being a fraud, for being a failure. So one of the greatest benefits of soul living is greater self-esteem. Self-esteem that's based on who you are on the inside. Your ability to make moral choices, your ability to learn and to grow and to make amends, your ability to choose your values in life, your character traits, your good qualities. You don't want, would you like to have a friend who likes you for your money or for your good looks or for your basketball skills or because you're a talented singer? Is that what you want people to like you? Or do you want people to like you because you're a good person, because you're caring, because you're loving, because you're creative or for your ability to, to do free will decisions? because you know how to make good decisions, you know how to make amends, or even better, unconditionally. 
because you're a beautiful person on the inside. That's the source of true relationships. And that brings us to advantage number four of soul living is healthy relationships. Because when we identify with our body, what we really are saying is we identify with our weaknesses, with our neediness. Because the body is intrinsically, inherently weak, flawed, and needy. The body needs food, honor, respect, physical pleasure, companionship, right? The body is lonely, bored, hungry, cold, tired. And when we approach relationships from the place of the body, then you are there to fill my needs. I need you to make me feel less lonely, less bored. I need you to fill me because I'm so empty on the inside. It becomes essentially a selfish relationship which leads way to addictive and abusive relationships. Because when we approach the world from our wounded self, from a psychological perspective, so that leads to unhealthy relationships with food, sex, drugs, relationships, technology, phones, to fill the emptiness inside. But when you connect to your soul, so you're connecting to a place of wholeness. Your soul is whole and complete. And from a soul level, relationships aren't about what you can do for me, it's about what I can do for you. Or more importantly, what we can do for the world. Because on the soul level, we are already full. And we have so much to give and share of our beautiful, perfect, shining, glimmering essence. So, soul living means greater connection to who you really are, to your true self on the inside. And that's really who we want people to know and relate to. And it has to start with ourselves. We have to learn to connect and love and respect our beautiful, unique, shimmering self. And the more we connect to spirituality, the more we connect to each other, others, God, because it's all the same thing. Because inside us, in, when you connect to your soul, you realize that your soul is a piece of God. God's right with, within you. And the more you connect to that, the more you realize that you also are part of my soul because we're all part of God. So really all things come together. According to Judaism, the litmus test of your spiritual development is your healthy relationships to yourself, God, and others. Those are the three relationships in life. So soulful living leads to healthier connection to self, greater self-esteem, greater self-control and free will, healthy religions, healthier relationships, and long-term pleasure, meaning, purpose, connection, transcendence, and self-acceptance. So I want to bless all of you that we connect to ourselves in a deeper way. And I believe that the purpose of RAGE is to get people to begin to question who are you and why are you here and as you continue on a lifelong journey of discovering your purpose and the true beauty that you have within the beauty of being part of the Jewish people then you can begin to share that with and it will have a ripple effect on your family your community and hopefully the entire world thank you guys so much for listening and we have one minute if anyone has a question otherwise please reach out I'd love to talk about this all more in the future.